Welcome back to episode three of the Song Uncovered podcast with us, Archie and Izzy from Ferris and Sylvester. We're going to be interviewing some of our favourite artists and songwriters about a particular song that we love of theirs that has influenced us in some way. At the end of each episode, we'll be tackling the chosen song of the podcast ourselves and attempting to do it justice. We want these episodes to be an open conversation, artist to artist, and hopefully we'll uncover the detail and devotion that goes into writing some of these amazing songs. Brought to you together with the Americana Music Association UK. A community that celebrates all strands of Americana and roots music in the UK and across the pond. Up next, we have a very special guest, the indie rock Americana queen that is Jade Bird with her new single, Houdini. It's a quarter to three and it's clear, clear to me that you're leaving Usually we don't come, come to blows to the evening We've known Jade for a long time, we actually both knew Jade before we knew each other So I guess we've known Jade for the best part of five years now We've made some great memories together in that time. We have toured together in the UK and across Europe, and we've watched her go from strength to strength over here and across the pond in America. And so we can't wait to have her on. We can't wait to hear the new record. Welcome, Jade. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Is my audio all right? Yeah, seems fine. It sounds fine. perfect. Can you... Can you hear us all right? Yeah, perfect. It, it turns out that after... Um, well, however long of using Zoom, we still don't quite know how to work it. the story behind Houdini okay so Houdini I first I went to upstate New York um to kind of get back on the you know on the train of I literally went on the train but I was trying to get back on the train of writing um and I we stayed in the Airbnb before this kind of little cabin we were going to go to to properly write and I wanted to get ahead of the game as usual with myself because I was like uh, you know, I, I really want to come up from this trip kind of fruitful. And I stayed in this study, this, it was like two writers um, house. I could tell because there's loads of things that indicated so, and also like so many books that I took inspiration from. And I sat in their study on their desk and there was like this framed kind of red figure hanging upside down. And I was like, okay. And it really sparked the Houdini reference in my brain. I'd been reading a book on him about how he like exposed con men of like the 1900s. So I was like, he was obviously in the ether, (laughs) but it was weird. I didn't start like that. I didn't start with the chorus. I started with this memory I had when I was very, very kind of young. Um, And my parents were kind of arguing and it was a pretty gnarly, like it was the worst argument probably of their marriage. And that, you know, when the, when I say about the neighbours are out on the street, you know, trying to hear what they're screaming about. Yeah. It's all very, very true. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I started with that sort of vignette of a memory. And then I remember the chorus literally just being like straight there. And it, it just became a metaphor then of all the men in my life, not boyfriends, but just certain figures who've who've kind of inspired something in me 
even though they just like disappear you know yeah. not to give them any due credit i you know i just they are houdinis in a way in a negative uh-huh. aspect but that was the metaphor and that was what the song came about wow but yeah we were listening to it. We listened listened to it uh, quite a few times this week, and um, I was trying. We were trying to listen really carefully to the lyrics and and trying to sort of figure out like where where's Jade come from from this angle. And I was talking about the this, the Harry Houdini aspect and and the escaping kind of thing, which 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 mm-hmm. you've just touched on. The disappearing act. Yeah, but I think especially you know my dad was in the army, so he wasn't very like like from like he wasn't really there growing up that much. You know, um, and then obviously they divorced, which so just with my mum and grandma mm-hmm. and then various relationships. I think of my mum, it was exactly the same thing. So I think for me, it was interesting because I started this record, which is primarily about a sort of renewal of optimism about love. You know, it's about me being in a good relationship. But I started it with this closure on, on a past and a negative out- outlook on relationships similar to what I had on the first record. So, yeah. Strange timing, how I did that, I think. It's interesting, actually, because we've just been talking recently about, um, it's not even out yet, but going from the first <laughs> album to the second album and and how there are some tracks on our on our first album that I feel like was was the was the joining aspects, like um, mm-hmm. like the last two or three songs that we wrote really resonate with the songs that we've written for this album. And mm-hmm. it feels like along the way, there was just kind of, it, it was like the tunnel into the new vision. So maybe this is kind of your introductory into the second and you're saying goodbye to to the first one in a way. You hit the nail on the head there. I think that's why I tried to release Head Start and Houdini first, Mm. especially Head Start, because it was like, oh, this is kind of my style. You know, this is what I've done before, you know, and and people who like me are going to get this and are going to, you know, be excited by this. And it was a bit of kind of joy to bring back it in a really dark time as well. So... Yeah, you are right. I was trying to I was trying to link it, but the in in contrast, like the next stuff I'm putting out is quite like third track I'm planning on putting out is pretty different. Really? Pretty like yeah, cool. so like proper electric guitar riff. It was the last song I wrote for the record in the studio. So yeah, wow. it's gonna be a bit mental, yeah. I like Houdini a lot. I think it's um yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. It's got a sort of darker, lazier kind of feel, which I think is yeah which is great. You've gone sort of um, almost a little bit Radiohead. Would that be a fair a fair description? I was listening to High and Dry the other day, right, and I was like, oh, I could have written that. <laughs> I wish I'd written that. Not could have, but wish I'd written more like. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, there is a weird world we collide, you know, I think, in a songwritery kind of way. Houdini, when you went up to to New York, did you do that this year with the backdrop of COVID and everything? Yeah, January. Oh, Uh, right. January this year. So we went up to see Dave Cobb in Nashville. Uh, You know, we were actually doing his basement at that point for various reasons. And we just did like three songs. Um, And I think, yeah, Houdini was one of the songs we did um, to test it out. And then I came back and I was like, I really want to do the whole record with Dave. But we had to fly back to the UK. COVID hit. Couldn't get out till the summer. 
Yeah. Um, so then I had to quarantine in Mexico for two weeks. Yeah. So that, yeah, for some, I have no idea why that would be that's, helpful that's to, a, you know. It's incredible. <laughs> well, you, you literally you in know? a hotel in Mexico City. Yeah, in an apartment block. But was, everything was shut down. And I, I wrote half the record in that apartment. Wow. Like, two weeks before we recorded in, like I said, we got, actually got in the studios. I just, I wrote pretty much my favorite stuff on the on the record that's amazing that must have been a hell of an experience i've never been to mexico city but i'd love to go but i suppose it probably feels like even though you were there for two weeks i I guess (laughs) you probably feel like you've never been there either yeah i mean i we couldn't go out and explore much you know we literally we were so careful because i was like this record was like you know, we were breathing it right then, you know, yeah. me and Luke. And I think uh, we didn't want to jeopardize anything. We were pretty much in hazmat suits on the plane. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. So, yeah. Hablas Espanol? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I could get, get by. I'll be able to order a beer in Mexico City. Una cerveza, That's por favor. Good. I mean, Luke's not so bad either. It must be like, a I don't know, males in the, in the UK, like well, the Spanish, or Spanish teachers. Yeah, the Spanish teachers, yeah. I mean, actually, my Spanish teacher was... Was, was, uh, was, was a man. Called? Senor Garcia. Ah. He was actually from Mexico. Oh, um, very nice. Yeah, um, sorry. Lovely, so, He was a lovely bloke, actually, and his son, um, I remember his son was a really good songwriter. Oh, I love so, you, Yeah, so little... Senor, uh, Senor Garcia. Uh, hola. <laughs> your your partner in life and in music similar yeah. i guess to to us are you guys was this record kind of written together or was it more kind of influenced by your musical partnership i mean both i you know me i'm really protective over the writing process i always have been so mm. i always write a first draft by myself um and i've always really struggled with the concept of co-writing i always feel like i never come away from a co-writing session with something for me i come from a co-writing session with something that is directly in the middle of the two people that, that's in the room you know me mm-hmm. and the other person which at the end of the day often isn't very useful at all <laughs> unless you want to do a collaboration ep right um so luke was the first person i trusted into that process and I mean, we're talking like, you know, I've been with him for almost three years. So it says a lot about what it takes to, you know, to come in the room and be like, OK. Yeah. Um, but Houdini, he he actually had an input in Houdini when we redrafted in the cabin. We used to walk down to his cabin every day after breakfast and I'd write and he'd come at the end. Um, and we had a lot of clarity on the album we were making because there was actually another album I thought I was making um, that was way more rock. It was way more conceptual. Um, but I, I didn't write the songs for it. You know, it, it it just didn't happen. So Houdini, I'm trying to remember. Oh, so he came in with a middle eight. I didn't have the middle eight, which is my favorite part of the song. And mm. he wrote the, he just started with the F chord. And I just straight away, make my day and trade your place with anyone who's not walking away. Mm-hmm. You know, I blame you, Chescapade, on my mistakes for not letting all this end. Like, it just completely went there. And I remember him joking, because we always joke that I can't play a, barred something like a bar chord or something <laughs> and they were like oh you're the only sign musician in the world who can't play a you know barred something <laughs> and that's and I remember Luke kind of circling it around and being like oh yeah that's why you're a sign musician because going the lyrics so fast in the middle mm. and that's like oh it was just like a really sweet kind of collaboration moment I think I feel like the middle eight is is often 
like the hardest part of the song. I mean, I don't know how how you think of them, but we often think of the middle eight as being kind of like almost a synopsis or like maybe a different perspective of the song, but that, that should just kind of encompass what it's about. We were listening back to a bunch of old stuff today and it's like some of our middle eights. I'm like, what were we thinking? Where were, yeah. where were we going? It's such a hard thing. Oh, I know. It's so important. I'm the same as you. <laughs> I say crucial. Every good song has like a great middle eight, especially like I'd say, I remember the middle eight for lottery coming like, I remember it because I was in the studio and I sat in the vocal booth and the middle eight wasn't very good because it never is because I always throw it away because I'm like, banging chorus, who cares, you know? <laughs> and I remember the producer coming in, Simone, and him being like, you know, the middle eight. Mm. And I remember being so terrified that someone was going to come and write this song right into the song. I literally just hit the E chord and I was like, I can't remember. Um, hold on, my dear. Um, hold on, my dear. Yeah, yeah. And I just wrote it in like less than five minutes because I was just terrified someone was going to write it for me <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think God. the sometimes are the ones you just like bowl that's you know, a great like, middle eight a thousand times a thousand it's brilliant sometimes you need a little bit of pressure hey that can it, it, yeah, it, it can it agree can agree with that Sometimes when you know you've got a finite amount of time and you, you've got to pre- deliver, mm. um, it's funny that you end up being capable of it and what the pressure does to you. You, are, you either go one way or the other, don't you? You either come up with something really good or you just go, yeah. you know, nothing, absolutely nothing. It's like meditative focus. And I mm. find sometimes the further I am away from society maybe or what I know or what I'm – like I can't write at home. Really? Like, I just can't. Yeah, I have to. It's annoying some money it costs just to rent somewhere random. But, like, I can't. It's like my brain just won't focus or won't mm. go there. Whereas, like I said, in Mexico City, it's like, a, you know, one. I was actually just in a bedroom. It wasn't anything special. Mm. It was just so far away from anything I was, like, comfortable in mm-hmm. that it was, like, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. I don't know if that is how you guys feel because you must write at home a lot now. You've got like a literal studio. In literally your literally yeah. in this room. Yeah, we, we do. There is definitely a, a case of going somewhere to do it because, mm. as you say, you know you're there. You know you've got to do something. You know you're paying for a space, for example. Mm. You, so you are, yeah. you are putting that pressure on yourself without necessarily even needing to. A lot of ideas come when you're in a studio. I don't know if you found that, but like when we were recording back at the end of last year, Mm. A lot of ideas for this record came up. And also, like, touring. Like, when we were on tour with mm. you back in February, I Should Be On A Train kind mm-hmm. of came about. We kind of snuck off after a sound check when we were kind of humming to each other, like, is that good? Okay, maybe we need to go and go off no, on our okay. own and 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 figure yeah. this out. Yeah, and we just was, literally sat in the back of the van. And it was in freezing. Vienna. Do you yeah. remember the upstairs, there was that, the dressing room was oh, upstairs. Oh, wow, up the... I had no idea. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was but, freezing. It's interesting you say about the studio thing, like my favourite probably song on this record and the one I'm going to release next, I think, literally, I was in the vocal booth and it, every, all the musicians had gone, you know, like they were gone for good. We'd finished the record. It was two days before I was flying home. 
and I'm in the vocal booth and I'm playing this riff. It's like, gah, 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 gah. like it's just such a weird kind of bit PJ Harvey kind of riff. And um, Dave, the producer, popped his head in and was like, you got to write something with that. you got to write something with that. And so I stayed up like the whole night finishing this track sent it to him on a voice memo and, and he was like, oh, we've got to, we've got to record it. So we called everyone back in. Oh my to God. Do sort of this, yeah, to do this like last hurrah. And it's weird because it's like the highest note I've ever hit. And you know, like I proper try and yeah, yeah. get up there, but it's like, it's like so, so high and it's, it's my favorite. So. Oh, I can't I, wait. I, yeah. I was like aware of the cliche of like the last thing you write for a record is the best. I've heard mm. that so many times. Mm-hmm. Like people just like penning their their I mean inverted commas like hit before they pack up the whole thing. So I was like, oh right, I've just got to do it to the end and see what happens. You know, maybe they, maybe I'm going to be a part of this cliche too. Tell us about working with Dave Cobb um, at mm-hmm. RCA Studios. That must have been uh, a really cool experience. Well, obviously, we've heard a lot about Dave Cobb and familiar with with a lot of his work. And, you know, um, Chris Stapleton, etc., yeah. etc. The list goes on. I mean, he's like he's a fully fledged genius. I'll, I'll give him that. You know, there is a reason he has like various Grammy support. And you know what I was so fascinated by was his want to branch out and not just do country or Americana, although he's a legend in that field. Mm. When he was talking to us, he was showing us like Blur second record. You know, when we played him Honeymoon, as you guys know, we played on tour, but he showed us like Iggy Pop Passenger and he like he like smashed a tambourine through the whole thing. And in the mix, I was like, oh, it's really loud, you know. We tried to turn it down and the energy of the whole track just tanked. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So I think, you know, the process, he gets you all in a room and you just play the song. So you, I'll play it to the musicians once. They'll write down their little notes, mm-hmm. you know, as Nashville musicians do like those guys. Mm-hmm. And you get in the room, I get in the booth and we all literally just play it. And he won't let you do any more than about three takes of a song. He's like, great, got it, great, awesome. And what you're hearing is like the live bass, the live drums, you know, the live vocal more more often than not. So to pull that off, I'm like, there's a lot of producers that say they want to do that and it doesn't sound very good. Mm -hmm. But the standard he makes that kind of sound is just phenomenal. He's kind of one of a kind guy for sure. And you've got, you've got to have the right musicians as well to be able to pull that off. So I guess the guys you yeah. had, they, they must have been proper players. Well, the drummer's hilarious. So the drummer's is Brandy Carlisle's drummer. And okay. he's a big, big guy. He looks like he's from Texas. But, like, you know, he's, like, proper, like, him kind of thing. And he's so funny. He's telling us he grew up in L.A. And when he was a kid, they used to take loads of psychedelics, him and his brother. It's how he kind of played drums. His brother told him to put a candle there and play to the flicker of the flame. So... <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> I guess in a weird roundabout way, like, that's why he's such a special drummer. I mean, I'm guessing because he played to the flicker of the flame on acid, but... <laughs> that is amazing. That's, 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 that's much more exciting. Yeah, it's much more exciting than playing to a click, isn't it? Yeah. Play to the flicker oh. of the flame. At mm-hmm. the end, there's a sort of uh, warbly, organy sound. Is is that a Farfisa? No, I think it's a Mellotron. 
Ah, mm. I love I love Mellotron. Yeah. I kind of thought it might be Mellotron because you've got like you like double layers and you can change the sound in Mellotron, so you exactly. use like different different parts of it. Um, yeah, because the choir is my favorite on that on that track particularly. Mm. We we mixed a choir and it sounds really off, but yeah. in a great way. We made um, Phil, who's an incredible keys player, plays for like this guy called Anderson East, but um, yes. he turned the modulation down so when it kind of goes like he that it was is... all intentional. Oh, cool. It's hilarious because we always bring Phil in like a keys player and just I'm always like do the bare minimum and by the bare minimum it can literally be like four notes through the whole track and he's yeah. like an incredible you know <laughs> he's like the best pianist ever like an RCA kind of like staple um but yeah I'm there going no just just four notes I find yeah. I learned classical piano and honestly I find although I can play it I it doesn't excite me I've never had a guitar lesson you see and it's beneficial for me because i'm always finding something you know finding something new i wouldn't have found so yeah well that's true i have the opposite on piano mm. i didn't learn piano growing up i played so much guitar that sometimes now mm. i pick up a guitar and and i play a d and i it, it's not interesting it's just bores yeah. the hell out of me it's just the feeling of it even more than the sound well i play a d on a piano which i'm way less familiar with and I'm literally genius. Like, yeah, that's got to be the best thing anyone's ever done, ever. Luke's uh, like that with a, with a D chord. He goes nuts at me because, like, some of my best stuff on this record is written with just a plain D chord, and you can yeah. just see his face being like, "What?" Yeah, no, but that's a guitarist thing, and it's and it's totally wrong. It sh- we sh- it shouldn't be like that for, for writing songs, which is let's be honest, the only thing that matters here. Um, yeah. The D chord is probably the most used sort chord ever. And there's a reason for yeah. that. It's because it's fucking great. So <laughs> let's just keep rocking that D chord, honestly. Yeah, when I was like right first writing, I used to like sit on the dining room like floor with, with the guitar and I just I couldn't write anything apart from E minor, the C A D D, whatever that chord is called, G and the kind of F sharp below it. See, none of them are right. What's absolutely hilarious is my chord names completely wrong. All my all my chords are complete. When I go through my notebooks to try and pick out what the hell I've done, oh. you know, I write little fretboards and just like fret five. <laughs> I no idea what the actual chord is. It's good practice to write it down. We yeah. don't write anything yeah. down. Yeah, we're uh, awful. Izzy, oh, really? Yeah, Izzy will get angry. Because we record it on on a phone, just an iPhone note. And then I'm like, ah, if I can play it now, I'll listen back to it and I'll be able to work it out straight away. And it's, so I don't need to write it down. So sometimes we go back to something and I'm like, fuck, I've no <laughs> idea how to play that. No idea. <laughs> question that we're asking all of our guests which is do you think that you're more musically or lyrically driven it's a good question i mean the best are always both but i'd have to say lyrics mm-hmm. i'd have to say lyrics just because that's where i really grow you know that's the biggest growth on the second record is like all the lyrics are just in more they get more and more interesting and the metaphors and the you know, there's this one song, it's not on this album, but will be on the next, but it's called Exit Wounds. And there's, there's like big things like that that just, 
they open a whole door to me you know mm. I, I remember seeing this book in that study I talked to you about and it was like this really popular book new book called Trick Mirror and I was like wow you know and it just became this whole thing that was like I can't remember what the actual course there excel but you have to kind of turn around to this big avalanche you know you have to turn around to love and sort of face it to ever make it work you can't keep running from mm-hmm. it it's never going to work you know you're testing your own faith so lyrics like that do things like that to my brain is sort of what I'm trying to explain I think your songwriting is just it's, it's got so much to it and it can go so far and like the the it's it's just so exciting to hear how you write albums because you know you're you already talk about writing number three I think yeah. it's just it's interesting how your how your brain works. Like you've talked to me before about how um, titles really yeah. jump out at you, and how that's a really strong vision for you. When you've got a title, it's like, right, I'm going to roll with this. Yeah, I remember Houdini. I remember there was um, this Foster the People track, I think, called Houdini or Harry Houdini. I remember being so disappointed that they hadn't used the great title at all in the whole song. It, but honestly, like, there's a sort of little thing I do sometimes what I used to do when I was a lot younger I, I get a bit thingy a bit now but often a lot of indie kind of bands or young acts or something they put so much effort into the title but the song necessarily the songwriter's not quite there mm-hmm. so they have these fantastic titles <laughs> that are usually sentences that I sometimes scroll across and I'm like you know <laughs> I'm like oh I like that and then I try and like mold it into my own thing yeah <laughs> there's always a starting point sometimes like yeah. if if you're looking for inspiration it comes in like the weirdest forms I sometimes like look at a poetry book of poetry that totally goes over my head that I don't understand um <laughs> but that's be- because something will jump out at me and I don't know, sometimes yeah. that's like a really good place to start. You're like, oh, I have absolutely no idea what I want to say. And it's like that word, that word, those two words together, I'm, it's probably nothing to do with the poem, but that's what shouts. Mm. Well, I was so. thinking of maybe tattooing like letters on me. So basically the first album I felt was L, you know, Love Has All Been Number Four, Love uh-huh. Kind of like that Amazing. Thing. I feel like this one's H. It's like head start, Houdini, honeymoon. Yeah. Kind of like, so I'm like, maybe. I don't, I've always been really anti getting a tattoo for, for my own reasons. Not that I, I love tattoos, but I, basically I want to look like a little alien. So I feel like if I had, if I asked a tattoo, it would maybe look too human. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I'm thinking about it. our final question Um, and um, we're asking this question to everyone that's kind enough to speak to us so you can choose three songwriters which you can sort of metamorphose into your own songwriting so who do you choose and why and you can only choose three and you can never change your your answers probably Radiohead as we spoke I think I love the way he takes an everyday phrase or like an everyday word and just morphs it into this incredible vision. You know, mm-hmm. like I, there was hearing damage, for example, and he just mm-hmm. centers it around this one guy and it's just so beautiful. It's really, really Tom York probably. Um, good, good one. Secondly, Elliot, Elliot Smith. Oh, wow. I, again, I feel like he he's somebody that feels like he's on the shoulder 
of somebody you care about, mm. um, <clears throat> like trouble, generally trouble characters, I'd say, um, but definitely Elliot Smith. And third, <clears throat> I'm kind of torn at whether to go for maybe, I think Tori Amos. I think nice. I think everyone could do with a bit of Tori in their life. She's quite, the reason I choose her is she cho- chooses very um, abstract imagery. I've never heard anybody describe a woman's experience in life with such kind of abstract clarity, if that makes sense. I think she's doesn't get the credit she deserves. So either her or Bjork. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show, Jade. It was great to catch up. Really enjoyed chatting with you. To close things, here is our version of Jade Bird's new single, Houdini. It's a quarter to three And it's clear, clear to me that you leave to you Ooh.